This is Listen Likely, the show that keeps you up to date on all things happening in and around the Lakeland area. Here's your chance to plan your family activities and learn more about what your city government and your neighbors are doing to make Lakeland a great place to live, work, and play. On today's show, we are grateful to have Lieutenant Billy Bonner as our guest to have a conversation about the wide variety of missions NOAA conducts out of our Lakeland Airport. Also featured is a November ISO concert and a trip off the beaten path as we rediscover Lakeland's e-library. Uh, first and foremost, Billy, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Um, noticed you're wearing a flight suit and I'm calling you Lieutenant Bonner. Uh, can, can you... Are you, are you military? Yeah, so uh, I am part of the NOAA Commissioned Officer Corps. So NOAA, the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration, has a officer component to it. Uh, so there are seven uniformed services in the United States. We all know the big five that are armed services, Army, Navy, Marine Corps, Coast Guard, um, and the other one in there somewhere. The Marines. The Marine Corps. Can't forget the Marines uh, yeah, ever. I can't forget them. And then you have the U.S. Public Health Service, and okay. then the latter, the NOAA Commission Officer Corps. So we are the smallest uniformed service in the United States, and there are 321 NOAA Corps officers that either drive ships for NOAA or we fly aircraft like we do here out of Lakeland, Florida. And so our mission is to provide a uh, to provide officers that are technically competent to assume positions of leadership and command in the NOAA, in the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration under the Department of Commerce. And okay. we basically provide a safe and reliable platform for scientists to conduct any type of mission that is done here in the United States with the government. Okay. So, I mean, most of us think of you guys as the hurricane hunters out of Lakeland, but you're saying a wide variety of missions. Yeah, a wide variety. So, like you said, we do have the hurricane hunters here in Lakeland with our two WP-3 Orions, Kermit and Miss Piggy. Okay. Then you have the G-4, which is Gonzo. And they do a lot of the um, atmospheric research for hurricanes. But we also have a fleet of light aircraft, four de Havilland Twin Otters, a Gulfstream Jet Prop Turbo Commander, and a Gulfstream, I'm sorry, a Beechcraft King Air 350. Okay. And so we utilize those aircraft to do multitude of different missions across the United States. Marine mammal surveys, atmospheric surveys, uh, snow and soil moisture surveys. Um, we do coastal mapping, emergency response. All those things kind of fall into that category for the light aircraft. Okay, so, and that's all, so you guys are underneath the Department of Commerce. Yes. So you're really... So fisheries are a big component? Yeah, absolutely. Our ships go out and do fisheries research. Uh, actually, before I went into the aviation side of things, when I was in college, I did a sea tour on the NOAA ship Pisces out of uh, Biloxi, Mississippi. And we went out and we surveyed fish. So they would cast a huge net behind the ship, drag it for a couple miles, and then pick it up. And we would count the fish that we had. And what we do is take a look at the population health for different fish species. And then we set the the amount that you could catch as a commercial fisherman. How did So you were in college. Mm-hmm. And I mean, you, when you think of the NOAA Corps, not many people actually think of the NOAA Corps as an officer. How, how did you get into this? Sure. So I was at Jacksonville State University in Alabama. Uh, I was finishing up my undergraduate in geography, 
and uh, we have to do a senior project. And so my advisor comes in one day and says, hey, there's been this oil spill down on the Gulf Coast, uh, the BP Deepwater Horizon. So uh, my university had gotten some grant money to do some research down there, trying to figure out where all the oil went, right? So I decided that I would do that as my senior project. I did spatial distribution mapping for the Gulf oil spill. Part of that was taking data that was collected from NOAA and implementing that into maps and spatial distribution mathematics to figure out where it might have went. Um, having done that, I presented my findings up at uh, in New York City, and that's when NOAA invited me to come down onto one of their ships for a fall pelagic tour. So I was on the ship for about two weeks, met some of the officers on board, had no idea that the NOAA Corps existed. At the time, I wanted to fly aircraft for the Navy. So I had been applying to the Navy, and I took all the tests and the exams and everything. And this uh, young lady on board the Pisces, she was the ship's navigator, she said that, that NOAA had aircraft too. So that kind of sparked an interest in me, and I did a little bit more research and found out that it was something that I could do. And it was a uniform service, so you get all the benefits of being a military officer, but you're stateside. And so in Lakeland, we've got nine aircraft, is that correct? Yes, nine aircraft. That are based here. Are there any other aircraft in the NOAA fleet or are all the... Nope, that is so, it. So this Lakeland is, is now the home to all of... World headquarters. Oh, wow. Right here in Lakeland. And you guys made the move two years ago? Yeah, almost two years ago. Excellent. And how are you enjoying Lakeland? I enjoy Lakeland. I actually live out at the airport on in the Sun and Fun campus. Okay. Yeah, so I have my, uh, my RV out there and... I'm enjoying it. It's really nice. I get to see all the airplanes come in on uh, runway nine there, and it's a lot of fun. Excellent. And what kind of missions are you running right now? I mean, with the you're running the twin uh, commander. Yeah, the twin commander. So I fly that aircraft all across the United States, uh, southern Canada, and uh, up into Alaska. And we do during the summer soil moisture missions. So we we have a, a, cat a catalog of about. 4,000 flight lines that we fly twice a year. The f during the summer, we'll fly them for soil moisture and determine how much water is in the soil. And then we fly them again during the winter or the spring for the spring flood melt and determine how much water is in the snowpack. So that's a really good indication of areas that may be prone to flooding during the spring flood melt. Okay, so uh, you're, you're looking at how big that snowpack is. What what potential of flooding and yeah exactly so what we used to do is have somebody go out with a yardstick right and take a measurement of the snow and that gives you a really good uh, estimate I guess of how much snow is there but it really doesn't tell you how much water is in the snow because you can have dry snow and you can have wet snow so you may have wet packed snow that is a foot deep and then you could have dry snow that may be five feet deep but you have more water in the one foot deep snow than you do the five foot deep snow. So we use a passive system in the back of the aircraft. It's basically a large Geiger counter and it collects gamma radiation off of the soil and it passes through five sodium iodide crystals and they basically light up and we measure the intensity of light to determine how much water is attenuating the signal of gamma into the aircraft. And that is just one of the many mission sets that are now uh, run yeah. here. Yeah, that's one of the many missions that we do. 
So that is just one of the nine aircraft. Just one of the nine aircraft. So what what do the otters do? That was the one you flew prior, correct? <clears throat> yeah, the otters, they do a multitude of different missions. They do marine mammal surveys, such as uh, Southeast right whale over in uh, St. Simons Island, Georgia. They do that during the winter. They do Northeast right whale up in Massachusetts. So they're going out and searching for the uh, North Atlantic right whale to kind of get a handle on their population and how, how they're doing. That's mandated by Congress. Uh, other projects that we do, coastal mapping, so the aircraft may be flying out along the coast, taking photos of the coast, and we use LIDAR to determine the depth at the uh, kind of the shoreline there. Because our ships will go out and they measure depths out as far as they can, and they get up close with some of the smaller vessels. So each of those big vessels that are hydrographic surveys, they have smaller vessels on board, and they'll go out with NOAA Corps officers, and they'll get as close to the shore as they possibly can. And what they can't reach, we supplement with our King Air or our otters and uh, try to figure out what the depth is right there at the shoreline. And that's you talked about commerce and why we fall under the Department of Commerce. This is one of the largest reasons. When we have one of the hurricanes come through, say like Katrina, that went through and uh, hit New Orleans, the New Orleans area, uh, there were hundreds of ships outside of port waiting to get into Biloxi, New Orleans, Mobile, Alabama. And our ship was, was one of the first there on the scene to map out the channels coming into and out of port. Had we not been able to do that, commerce would have basically stopped in its tracks in the, the southern area. So, and, and the channels did change. And if we had not been there, you know, ships could have run aground. We could have had a major oil spill or uh, anything like that, a ma- major disaster for any type of shipping industry. Now, is that the roots of NOAA? Is that, is, uh, I mean, where, what is kind of the history of where NOAA came from? So NOAA came from uh, back in the days of Thomas Jefferson, and he wanted to basically map the coastline. So he put forth uh, the U.S. Geological Survey and they go out and they take a look at uh, where the coastline is and they map out the coastline and then that kind of transformed into NOAA and then into the NOAA Commissioned Officer Corps. Okay. So one of the other things that I noticed, I mean, we just went through that, uh, that catastrophic uh, hurricane, uh, Michael, and, you know, we always think of the, the, the women and men that flew through to give us predictions. But one of the other things I noticed was the high-resolution photography that NOAA was providing. Is, is that something new or is uh, it's... So that, that comes from our, from our King Air. So the King Air is a, uh, we, we consider it a national asset. So it is on call for an emergency response. Anytime there's an emergency disaster, uh, flood, flooding, hurricane, tornado, tornado events, uh, earthquakes, so anytime there's a natural disaster, that aircraft can be deployed to that area to take photos. And we do that so that we can help emergency responders in getting to the places they need to go. So instead of sending people out to assess the damage on foot, where it can be potentially hazardous, dangerous to health and, and lives, we use an aircraft based out of, uh, so right now I know that they're based out of Mobile, Alabama, and they're working the panhandle from Mobile, Alabama. So the aircraft has enough fuel on board to depart from Mobile, take four hours worth of high-resolution imagery, and then return back, and then we send that up to Silver Springs to the um, it's HRD, 
So we send it up there to them, and then they send it out to the the masses. So how quickly after, uh, for instance, Michael, was the King Air deployed? Uh, immediately. So as soon as the hurricane had passed, we were in Mobile immediately. And I think they may have actually staged in Mobile for the passing, and then there they are. Intriguing. So, th- so uh, it, is that all public domain? I mean, it's all public domain. So you can look it up online, and uh, you can go to our Facebook account, uh, Hurricane Hunters, and we have it posted there for people to take a look at and and get that information. And everyone always thinks Hurricane Hunters. So we've we've kind of talked about some of the other mission sets. Really want to get into the hurricanes a little bit. Uh, so you've got three aircraft that fly hurricanes. Mm-hmm. Uh, the G4 is, you said, a high altitude? Yeah, high altitude. We fly that aircraft anywhere between forty and 45,000 feet. And how long is an average mission? Uh, usually eight to eight and a half hours. And how many nautical miles do you travel on one of those missions? You, you can cover anywhere from <clears throat> 500 nautical miles if we're staying just right off the shore. Or we could, uh, I mean, they've flown the airplane from Hawaii to, to Tampa in one shot. I did. I did read um, that. I mean, it's been a highly active Pacific hurricane season as well, and the G four was stationed over there a few times. Is that correct? Yeah, they we do deploy over to Hawaii and take measurements from uh, tropical cyclones out in the Pacific, uh, especially if they are threatening uh, Hawaii. So we will go out there and, and deploy out of there. So the G four doesn't really fly through the eye; it's just just on top. Yeah, no, it it's up top. Now the P three that's that's the one that everyone thinks of as the one that flies through the eye. Is that correct? That is correct. We fly that airplane anywhere from five thousand to ten thousand feet, and they blow right through the eye wall of the hurricane. So what we're doing, and the reason that we call it hurricane hunting, is because we're looking and we're hunting for the center low pressure, basically zero wind and the lowest pressure. And that is where we take the mark when we find that area. And that's where you, when you get your coordinates from, from NOAA, from the weather service, that came from our aircraft flying through the, through the eye of the storm. And there is really no other way to get that crucial piece of data other than flying an aircraft into the storm. You can't you can't fly on top and then come in. Mm-mm. You have to go. You have to go straight through, one way in and one way out. So, how many people are on board the the P three? On the P three, they can take a crew complement up to 20, 22 people. That includes pilots, technicians, flight engineers, um, mechanics, and scientists. So, how many of those people are officers? Well, it really depends. Uh, usually, the uh, officer complement on board can be anywhere from five to six. Uh, you have the aircraft commander who is in charge of the overall flight itself. He's in charge of the aircraft and the, and the people on board. Then you have a co-pilot. <clears throat> Both of those are Noah Corps officers. You could have another co-pilot on board who's a co-pilot in training, Noah Corps officer. The navigator is a Noah Corps officer. Uh, the flight meteorologist could be a Manoa Corps officer, but primarily they are civilians, and they are meteorologists who are also the uh, mission commander, so they're in charge of the mission, and they are charged with making sure that the aircraft doesn't fly into a sail that is going to upset the aircraft or 
exceed the limitations of the aircraft. From there you have technicians who are aerospace engineers or mechanics and they are basically taking those drop signs that we use, loading them into the computers and loading them up and then dropping them when the flight director says to drop them and collecting that crucial data and sending it up forward to the flight director they QC it, send it over to the National Hurricane Center and then to you ultimately. That all can happen within an hour once we get that data. So that's that's all live data that we're getting. Live data. Now you had mentioned the names of the aircraft, Kermit, Miss Piggy, and Gonzo. Yep. How did how did the Muppets become part of the NOAA fleet? I don't know the official story, but I have been told a version of the story. The version of the story that I have been told is that uh, 43 Romeo Foxtrot, so each aircraft has its own tail number, so 43 Romeo Foxtrot, or NOAA 42, was um, always in maintenance or it, back in you know its early stages as a hurricane hunting aircraft. Always in maintenance, and it kind of coined the name uh, maintenance hog and then someone started calling it a hog that later transcribed into a pig miss piggy and then someone said well you can't have miss piggy without kermit and so somehow some way jim henson got word of it and he sent us the artwork for the aircraft and gave us rights to to use that artwork and the names of the muppets as long as the aircraft are in service well that's cool so so kermit is really sanctioned by Jim Henson as yep. a... Yeah, we have a letter from Jim Henson Studios that gives us the exclusive rights to use it. So why Gonzo for the G4? It's an interesting question. And if you've ever seen Gonzo, you would know immediately uh, why we call it Gonzo. Uh, Gonzo has the long nose, and the G4 has a modified nose cone for the radar, the C-band radar that we have up front. And that is that is basically why we call it Gonzo. It, it does not look like any other G4 in the G4 fleet. So it's a long nose. That yeah, a long, bulbous-type nose that is on the front of the aircraft. So we talked about planes that people man. Do you guys use unmanned or drones at all? Yeah, absolutely. We have a whole fleet of, of drones that we use for uh, marine mammal surveys. And if you want to get really close to a whale... Because when I, I knew when I was flying the Twin Otter doing a whale survey, we fly at 700 feet above the, the ocean. And so what's really interesting is when you find a whale and you kind of get on that whale and you're circling, the whale will actually tip over to its side and it's looking at us. And it knows we're there. It can hear us. It can see us. And they will dive. And they will stay down low because they, they think that we are a threat. So what's really interesting with drones is they're so small they just think that they're a bird and so with the drones we can get up really really close and get a really good high resolution imagery of some of these whales and there's actually a case where uh, we deployed one of our drones from a small boat and we were collecting whale snot now snot. I don't, I, snot i don't know what they were doing with the snot but i'm sure it had something to do with but, uh, but a whale doesn't have a nose well the whale does not have a nose but it has a blowhole and so we, okay. they were taking samples from the blowhole, and we called it snot. And um, I'm not sure what they were looking for or what they, what they gained from that, but I thought that was still pretty cool, using one of our drones to collect whale snot. Interesting. So 
So fly a drone. That that's got to be precise timing just to to get that drone just perfectly to capture. Yeah, the some blow some of our snow. our drones they're they're not fixed wings. So all of our aircraft that we have at the at the hangar manned aircraft are fixed wing aircraft. They fly straight. Or okay. We would prefer for them to fly straight. Yes, yes. Uh, we have some of our drones are quadricopters, so they're basically like a helicopter. They can just hover. And so you plot a point, and it will just hover over that point for an extended period of time. And that's, I guess that's basically what they did. They just hovered over the whale. Okay. Um, so you, you use some drones for whale mm-hmm. um, studies. Have you used drones for uh, any hurricane hunting? Yes, there are uh, some drones that are ble- being researched at the moment for hurricane hunting. We call it the coyote. And basically it is a airframe that has been uh, kind of you put it into a tube so the wings fold and as soon as it deploys from the aircraft the wings pop out and then you can fly it around remotely in the storm so I'm not sure where we are with with that project I know there have been some uh, testing going on with that over the past couple years but uh, we will certainly see that here in the in the near future I'm sure so you guys just moved to Lakeland. You were at McDill prior, is that correct? Yes, McDill Air Force Base over in Tampa. Now, what, what caused you to move to Lakeland? Well, uh, it, it was basically an eviction notice, I guess, to put it in you know terms. But uh, So the, the U.S. Air Force needed hangar space for a new fleet of aircraft that were coming into the Air Force, and they were going to put some uh, extra KC-135s down in in Tampa at McDill Air Force Base and so they needed the hangar space and we had been there since Hurricane Andrew uh, blew into Miami so we were based out of Miami beforehand Hurricane Andrew came through wiped out our facility we moved to McDill Air Force Base and we had been there ever since so once we got the word we weren't really sure what we were going to do and there were a lot of meetings and a lot of talk but it boiled down to us being able to put out a call for any airports that were within 50 miles of McDill that could have the runway length and the other requirements that we that we had set forth could basically bid on a government contract and ultimately it came down to Lakeland and Lakeland built a very nice state-of-the-art hangar for us and it is uh, probably one of the nicest hangars I have ever been in and the building itself too the workspaces are phenomenal and I think uh, there we were probably spit or split 50-50 people who were not really interested in coming to Lakeland and then there were people who were uh, really interested in, in moving from the Air Force Base and moving over to Lakeland but I think now that we're all kind of settled in and we're all enjoying it I know that some people still commute from from the Tampa area we have a we have a carpool van that drives over every day, and some people maintain a residence over in Lake in, in Tampa. I myself I moved over here to to Lakeland, and I enjoy it. Now, how many do you, how many people are actually employed and working at the aircraft operations center? We have roughly 110 employees that moved from McDill Air Force Base over to to Lakeland. That includes our commanding officer, executive officer, administrative branch. Uh, science and engineering branch, the maintenance branch, all those people moved moved over with us. We so, didn't. We left no man behind. So, and it's not just a hangar. It's 
it's it, a full workforce. Okay. Yeah, we we do all of our own in-house maintenance. We do uh, any modifications to the aircraft. We have an entire engineering, aerospace engineering division that uh, will do the mathematics on any type of new radar system that we want to put on board an aircraft. Um, one of our aircraft has a camera door that was installed, and that came from our department, from the science and engineering branch and the maintenance branch. Uh, you have an entire workforce of administrative people who make sure that all of our aircraft are supplied with the things that they need to, to function. So we, we brought a whole whole complement over here. Well, we welcome you to Lakeland. It's uh, been a great addition. I know uh, people have wondered who are the who are the people wearing <laughs> the blue jumpsuits. Yeah, that's us. Well, I've been uh, I've been accused of being an astronaut. I've been accused of being a NASCAR driver or a Blue Angel. And when I tell people that I work for NOAA, uh, especially here in the Lakeland area, within the past year, they they automatically know exactly who we are, and they know that we're the Hurricane Hunters. And and then we explain to them, yeah, we're the Hurricane Hunters, but we do uh, a whole lot more than than just hurricane hunting. Now, if someone wanted to come by and 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 see the planes. It, are you guys open for to the public, or how do, how does someone get to really understand NOAA a little more, or get get to see with their own eyes? Sure. Yeah, we we do conduct uh, school tours, or if you have a group that you would like to bring by, we conduct tours on Tuesdays and Thursdays between 9 a.m. and noon. And basically, you you would email um, the public affairs officer there at the Aircraft Operations Center. You can get that online at uh, just type in. Noah Hurricane Hunters PAO, and I'm sure his name will come up. And you just email him, and he'll send you everything that you need to know. Or you can get in contact if you see one of the pilots that are walking around. Maybe they're out for lunch, and uh, spark up a conversation with them. We're happy to talk to our neighbors. We're happy to talk to anybody here in Lakeland, and just ask them for information on coming over to to see the Hurricane Hunters. I don't know if you know this, but uh, Lakeland has one of the largest air shows in the United States called Sun and Fun. And so uh, that's probably a great opportunity for people to come over and to see our hangar and, and to check out check out the aircraft. Yeah, you guys have a pretty good seat for Sun and Fun. That's <laughs> yeah. second floor looking out. Absolutely. Well, welcome to Lakeland. We're glad to have you. Um, Lieutenant Bonner, thank you for your time today. Yeah, thank you for having me. This is Listen Lakeland. The show that keeps you up to date on all things happening in and around the Lakeland area. So it's time for a little trip off the beaten path as we rediscover Lakeland's e-library. Opened in July 2007, the e-library was established to provide library resources to patrons in South Lakeland. It is located in the Lake Miriam Shopping Plaza. This library was a joint project between the Lakeland Public Library and the Polk County Library Cooperative. The e-library gives opportunity for patrons to borrow bestsellers, DVDs, music CDs, and use public access computers. As technology continues to advance, the Lakeland Public Library and branches continue to evolve and adapt to serve the needs of the citizens of Lakeland and Polk County. They also have a couple different events coming up this November. On Monday, November 5th and 19th, they have Mellow Mondays. It is from 10 a.m. to 12 p.m. It's audiences for adults, and it's for arts, crafts, and clubs. So drop into the e-library to mellow out in color. Adult coloring pages and supplies will be provided so you can drop in and relax. 
on Saturday, November 17th, from 10.30 to 12.30 at the e-library. They have the pause to read, read to therapy dogs and improve your reading skills. This is for youth and anyone wanting to improve their reading skills. Our furry friends from Pause for Friendship are safe, friendly, and non-judgmental reading buddies. If you have any questions, you can contact the e-library at 838-4507. Libraries hours are Sunday. They're closed. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday, they are open from 9 a.m. to 6 p.m. On Friday, 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. And on Saturday, 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. This is Listen Lakeland, the show that keeps you up to date on all things happening in and around the Lakeland area. On Tuesday, November 13th at 7 p.m., the Imperial Symphony Orchestra kicks off its Masterworks series sponsored by Southeastern University. This is a treat you do not want to miss. The guest artist is Angel Romero. Hailed for his superior artistry as the master of Spanish guitar, Angel Romero's eminence in the music world as soloist and conductor is heralded by audiences and critics alike. One of the most sought-after musicians of his generation, Angel Romero has appeared with the world's major orchestras, including the L.A. Philharmonic, the New York Philharmonic, the Cleveland Orchestra, the Royal Philharmonic, and the New World Symphony. Music selections include Spanish and Cuban composers. The rhythmic program will engage and excite. Tickets are available at the RP Funding box office and online. Student tickets are always free, but you must call or visit the RP Funding box office to include them with your purchase. Listen Lakeland is brought to you as a collaborative project between Lakeland Vision, the City of Lakeland, and Hall Communication. Truly a community working together to provide an exceptional quality of life.